Amina Brown and her husband Matt Owen are soul graffiti. Good to have both of you here on The Antidote. We are excited to be here. Thanks for having us, Dave. Yeah, thanks a lot. Well, let's hear the important story about soul graffiti. Matt, why don't you fill us in about the details about your romance? And then, Amina, you can correct him if he messes up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you definitely picked the shorter version. (laughs) Uh, We were just friends for a couple of years. Um, Both ended up at some of the same events. And she had the idea of putting together a DJ and a spoken word poet. And I was interested to see uh, how that would be. And she had to marry you to convince you to do this? I I think that she married me uh, just to cut the cost of production and DJ services. (laughs) I think it's all a racket. She, uh, but she did bring sandwiches and chips and uh, some iced tea. So, you know, I wasn't showing up for free. Um, And uh, we were actually in the studio for about six months building a a performance that we do together. And I was, I was just interested to see what it would be like, because I know how to DJ for a rapper or for a singer, even as a solo act myself. But um, to DJ for a poet, that seemed interesting, you know, and at the time, uh, the church that I was working for, uh, everybody was like, I think you guys would make a great couple. And I was like, there's no way that this woman is interested in this man. Impossible. Um, and so they, they got to teasing me so bad about it that I uh, told her one day when we were hanging out that I was getting teased about it. I thought I was protecting my friend Amina. She thought I was uh, trying to tell her I was interested. <laughs> so she said her friends were teasing her about me also. Which I was like, why on earth would your friends tease you about me? And uh, it led to a conversation, which led to an engagement, which led to us getting married. And here we are. (laughs) And this has been how long a span? How long have you been married now? September made four years. Okay, so it's still relatively new. Oh, yeah. 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 We still like each other. We we like to tell people our marriage is uh, pre-K. We haven't made it to kindergarten (laughs) <laughs> We've been married five years. But our finger paintings are awesome. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, listen, Amina, I'm interested in hearing more about you. So when did you start writing? Uh, I started writing poetry when I was 12, just in my own notebooks, whatnot, outside of class. And I started performing poetry my last year of high school when I was 17. I was living in San Antonio, Texas at that time. So now San Antonio has a poetry and a hip hop scene, but back then there was no scene. So I was interested in doing something where there really wasn't an outlet anywhere, you know, where I live to perform. So I moved to Atlanta to attend Spelman College and Atlanta um, had then and still has today a really thriving poetry scene. And that's where I cut my chops, so to speak, uh, learning how to perform spoken word. And that's what I'm curious about, because it must be very different between writing poetry and performing it as a spoken word artist. Yeah, I I don't know if these are technical terms, but I always say there's a difference between spoken word poetry and and what we would consider your traditional page poetry, which all poetry Mm -hmm. was really written to be read aloud. Um, even if it wasn't written to be performed. But, you know, we're, we learned about sonnets and haiku and limericks, you know, a lot of those sestinas, those traditional forms. Um, I think spoken word, especially for my generation of poets, sort of took on this marriage between jazz rhythms and hip-hop wordplay and all that sort of 
becomes this longer free verse <laughs> piece of work uh, that is really written in its best form to be memorized and, and performed that way. And why did you decide that you wanted to perform in front of the public? Um, I guess there's like a couple of experiences that led to that. You know, I was just starting to write around 96, you know, write performance pieces. And there was a movie that was released. Um, it was like a black romantic comedy slash drama uh, called Love Jones. And it was the first film I'd ever seen where the leading man was played by Lorenz Tate was a spoken word poet. So it was one of the first films that, you know, I remember watching where you, you were seeing the open mic environment and the bass player and everybody snapping their fingers and, you know, kind of that whole vibe that we've seen ad nauseum now was very new when Love Jones was released. So I was a high school student at that point. So I think that sort of made me go, huh, I, I love writing. I didn't know that you could write things and perform them that way. You know, it kind of made me curious. And I came to Atlanta and discovered that those places are actually real. Those rooms where people are performing their work and, you know, performing to a live jazz band, you know, that kind of environment. It must be tough to do that, though, to be up on stage, because if you ever did mess up, you've got no way to cover it. It's not like having a rock band where, you know, the guitar can come in and sort of mask over something that you've totally blown. You can't do that with what you're doing. Yeah, that is a part of the trouble, especially when you're trying to kind of get a piece memorized. You know, it's it's happened to me several times. Any any spoken word poet worth their salt has had that moment where you're just on stage and you just go blank and you can't remember <laughs> where you're supposed to go next. But the plus to it on the other side is that because you're a spoken word poet and not a singer, nobody knows your poem. Nobody knows it well enough to know, you know, well, the bridge goes there. Well, why'd she do the chorus there? You know, it's your poem. So I, I would probably say I have forgotten more times than people knew that I did. I just, you know, skipped over a stanza and went to the next one. Or sometimes I went into a completely different poem <laughs> right in the middle of the other one, you know. But <laughs> nobody knew. They thought that was all on purpose. That was basically because I forgot and I didn't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> well, then, to follow up on that, do you think that a spoken word artist can create a closer connection to their audience, you know, in comparison to a more traditional music scene? Hmm. I think, I think in certain ways, and Matt and I were just talking about this a little bit today, I think that the art in its best form to me, the art of spoken word is very vulnerable. It's one of the most vulnerable types of stage work that I think you can do because most spoken word poets don't do cover work. Every time you're on stage, you are performing some original piece that you've written, some vulnerable piece of your story, some funny question you have about life. And so I think there are a lot of ways that that connects really well with an audience because you are truly putting your soul out there, putting your embarrassing moments, your breakups, you know, when you've lost someone, all of those things, all of our insecurities, you're dumping that into a work of art and performing it in front of people. But I think for the audience member, it gives them something human to identify with about you because you're already coming to the stage sort of not, not truly perfect and polished. 
Well, that certainly comes across on Soul Graffiti's self-titled EP. Listening to it, yeah, the song seems so personal, but how much comes from your own experience versus just your imagination? I would say probably most of the work on Soul Graffiti was like actual real things that happened to me. Like there, there were a couple of my friends that I was like, you know, you showed up on our Soul Graffiti EP, like in Graffiti for Your Soul. When I talk about sitting across the table from a friend of mine and she was telling me that she didn't want to make herself small. Like that was my friend, Helen. That was a real conversation in Joe's Coffee in East Atlanta. <laughs> you know, like I could tell you the place where we were when we were talking about that. Um, of course, in, um, in one of the other songs, we sort of wanted to take on more of a storytelling kind of vibe, but I told those stories in the third person um, to sort of separate, you know, my I voice and experience from that. But I would say most of it, you know, that EP was hammered out in my husband's office and studio. <laughs> it was real life conversations, real life frustrations, the entire process. So let's begin the one that has the verses that tells all the stories. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, uh, it's reason to believe. Reason to believe. Yeah. yeah that was one of the ones that, you know, wasn't all from my experience, but, you know, was kind of involving some storytelling, which is also fun to do. Interesting about reason to believe because you pulled Peter Furler in mm-hmm. yeah. to help out on vocals with that. Yes. That, that was, was quite a tag. Oh, man. <laughs> that, that was an amazing experience getting to work with him. Yeah, we were on a tour, on a, on a winter tour through the Midwest. So the weather was just, especially for Southern birds like us, you know, the weather going through the Midwest during that winter was horrible. <laughs> but one of the best things about the tour was we got a chance to hang out with Peter Furler and the guys in his band and, you know, just really vibed and connected and... You know, I mean, artists do this all the time, obviously, where you meet each other and you go, hey, if you ever, you know, need me for anything, like, let me know. And he, you know, said that to us and we were started working on the EP and just thought, I wonder if he really meant that. <laughs> <laughs> so we said, well, we'll just reach out to him. The worst thing that will happen is he'll tell us no. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very interesting uh, when I was writing the part that he would sing. I um, I didn't want to make it very wordy. I wanted a lot of room for his accent to be able to shine through. And so when I was writing it, I wrote it with his voice in mind. And so uh, it felt really strange when I went to uh, record the scratch vocal to send to him. Uh, first of all, it feels funny singing a scratch vocal that you're sending to someone whose voice you've heard a billion times. Oh, yeah. But you got to tell me, did you actually add the Aussie accent to it? <laughs> I had to force myself not to because you never want to, you know, offend someone or, you know, uh, so it it was so difficult not to, uh, but I I did refrain. Getting the vocal back, again, a voice that you've heard so many times and, you know, just really respect his work and the the songs that that man has written and performed, you know, to, to hear him on uh, some music that you made, singing some words that you wrote. It, it was a very humbling experience. You know, with the EP, you know, I keep talking about you being as, you know, spoken word. But, of course, that's only really a part of what you're doing, because you met. And, of course, you got to give me your name that you go by. Yes. I perform mostly nowadays under the name of DJ Ope Diggy. That's spelled O-P-D-I-G-G-Y. And that's added a really different sound to it. 
you go through a lot of different styles on the EP itself. Matt and I have been collaborating, or DJ Updiggy and I, have been collaborating for years. Soul Graffiti was our first time walking into that collaboration with nothing. Typically, he is my DJ and my producer in our collaborating. So typically, I go to him like, I've got this poem, and can you put some music to it? And he creates this, you know, beautiful, cool, edgy, you know, whatever is required there, piece of music around it. Well, our goal with Soul Graffiti was to walk in with nothing. I walk in, I don't have any pre-written poems. He walks in, he doesn't have any pre-composed music. And we really, in some cases, frustratingly, (laughs) had to find a way to make that work. And he had been talking to me about what would it look like to put spoken word into songwriting structure, to basically create songs that have hooks and verses and bridges. What would it look like to put spoken word there and leave it spoken word, not make it into rap, which was super weird to me. at first, but what you are hearing on the EP is the results of us getting in that room and getting on each other's nerves to create something. That must have been a huge challenge for the two of you. It, it really was. It, it's kind of been a journey, though, even since like when, as friends, we went into the studio to build the, the performance piece that we do together. It's kind of been a, a building journey from there because, uh, for instance, if you have a rapper they're going to ride the beat of the music. And there's a certain set of amount of bars that they will perform their rap over. And then there's a hook and then there's, so there's some form, there's some song structure there. Whereas with a free verse poet, it's just been a journey of learning how to create music that was interesting enough and had enough groove uh, to where it moved with the poet versus it being like a poet performing over a track, uh, you know, kind of how a singer and the music, how it is some, some cohesion there or a rapper and music. How do you take free verse poetry and cohesively have music where the two dance in and out of each other? And so that, that really led to the Soul Graffiti Project, uh, thinking what would it be like to do poems and add a hook, whether it be a singable melody like Reason to Believe or something that's more of a chant kind of chorus like in Graffiti for Your Soul, and then to also marry it with uh, some some raps in there. I, I started out as an MC before I became a DJ, uh, so to uh, add some, some raps. So even the contrast between how those raps are versus the free verse poetry. Uh, It just added to be a a really neat gumbo, but a a great experience that I can't wait to see how we keep going with. (laughs) Yeah. What about running us through the album itself? Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. Because Graffiti for Your Souls first, which was the first thing that we ever Mm -hmm. made together. Sort of what happened when when we were like, we want to perform together, but we want to do that differently than the way we've been doing it. Up to now, it had been more like Amina Brown and DJ Diggy, which we still do some of. But we wanted to have a duo name, like a name that was the two of us, that was our white stripes, you know. Mm -hmm. So that was what we came up with Soul Graffiti because we have a rule that when we uh, go to a neighborhood to see if we want to move there or live there, we have to live within a five-minute drive of being able to see graffiti in our neighborhood. 
if we see graffiti in our neighborhood, then we know that there is some unrest. We know there's some struggle, but we also know that there are some artists in the neighborhood. And so that lets us know that we're welcome there. And we wanted to, we were going to be soul, S-O-U-L, graffiti, but that was already taken. So then we thought, well, what if we do the S-O-L, like the Spanish for sun, soul, graffiti, because we want whatever our mark is that we leave in the world. Graffiti always ends up on these abandoned buildings, these rejected places, which is some of the language you're hearing in uh, graffiti for your soul. But we hope that sort of the graffiti that we live with our art and with our lives, that it will shine of hope, that it will shine of light and of truth. So once we got there, then we're like, all right, great. We have a name. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What else are we going to do here now? So we got in there trying to create, and I write all of my spoken word pieces to jazz music, to John Coltrane, Miles Davis, kind of 60s era of jazz. The classics. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, you make some music and I'm going to go write. So I went by John Coltrane to write and he's in there doing his stuff. And that didn't work very well because he was making music that I was like, well, that doesn't sound like I thought it would sound and I'm writing and it's just not going well. So we literally just had to put ourselves in the same room and go through the awkwardness of him like playing instruments and trying to figure out what and of me just trying to hear what he's making and write. So it's out of what started off as frustration, (laughs) out of that, Graffiti for Your Soul was born, which was awesome. So then when we went into um, Let's Begin, I think you might have made the music for that first. Mm -hmm. Am I remembering that right? We, We made the music first, and then we wrote the hook for it. We just kind of vibed out to the music, and then we wrote the hook. Yeah. And I think I had like a couple of the first lines of the hook I had is like something else that was going to go to another poem or something. And so I kind of read it to him, but it wouldn't finish. I couldn't get it to finish right. So we finished the hook from there like, huh, I really like that hook. All right, let's try to write some verses to go with it. And I will say of all these songs on the EP, I think Let's Begin is my favorite to perform because I've never written songs before. So that was one of the first songs that we performed. And when we cut out of it, the audience kept saying the hook afterwards. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This happens to songwriters all the time that they wrote this thing in their room somewhere. And you get in front of a crowd and like you taught them to sing it or to say it along with you like that. I just thought that was like so amazing. (laughs) And there's quite a story in the song. Let's begin. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think trying to think of that moment for us, a lot of us as artists, you know, that moment of like the blank page, the blank canvas, you know, when, when you're starting with an idea, but how does that flow into the rest of life? What are those moments that we need to, really think about starting over and being able to begin again and being able to be inspired. And so that was sort of kind of what was driving me as it related to the verses of Let's Begin. Then you did Reason to Believe. Yes, which I think Reason to Believe, I want to say we didn't want to force a message into this EP. If we felt like a message of Jesus explicitly came out in it, 
then we wanted to let that happen organically and not feel like we had to like pump every piece of music or piece of poetry that we wrote to be that. And Reason to Believe felt very natural to us because um, we really wanted to make some songs that could be played in a church, but could be played in a lounge somewhere where people were drinking mojitos. <laughs> so um, Reason to Believe felt natural to us. And, and I loved the idea of telling sort of this story we talked in the beginning about there being this birth struggle kind of theme that we felt like we were picking up on, on the EP. And so I love the idea of sort of telling a story about three scenarios where a birth totally changed the life of the character. And each of the verses uh, sort of feature that one from the perspective of a mother, one from the perspective of a father, and then to bring the Jesus story in from this, like, if we examine this birth of Jesus, we're looking at someone who was not born under the most awesome circumstances, just like the other two verses, but he also gives us reason to believe. Now you, you need to tell about I Am A Journey because you made it, we had nothing but some sentences and you made it sound <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> so. So I, I am a journey. Uh, I, I wanted to make the first version sound like a remix, kind of. Uh, and so we, we each wrote I am statements. So from there, I just took them as if I were sampling from something else. And I, I, I just love it has a lot of build to it. Uh, so that, that was definitely a fun one to work on. I've had a couple rappers say they want that track, too. <laughs> I, we went in and recorded everything, acapella, all the sentences. So I left him for a few days for him to do whatever he wanted to do with that. And when he let me listen to it, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> this is awesome. And then when we went into Hands Up, we both always talk about how it seems like there's a disproportionate number of sad songs about God, like super slow emo songs about God. True. And we were just like... Why can't there just be some like celebration songs? Like, I mean, Jesus did die, but he rose too. You know, like there's reason to have some joy and celebrate and have fun and party. So hands up was sort of us trying to imagine if we could make something that people could dance to that incorporated spoken word and hip hop, what would we make? And hands up was that song for us. And it's a great track. I really wanted to hear poetry over danceable music. That was, I just wanted to, I need to do my research, see if it's been attempted before, but I really wanted to try it. And it gave you, Matt, more of a chance to perform. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that one's probably my favorite one to perform live. Uh, a couple of the colleges that we've done that one at, uh, coming from behind the turntables and grabbing the mic. That's, that's a fun, and the crowd moves pretty good with it too. Well, you know, during this whole conversation, Mina, I think I've been putting limits on you because, you know, you're not just a spoken word performer. You're also an author and a public speaker. Man, this is going to sound like some kind of a game show. But if you had to choose only one of those, which one would it be? Hmm. I think I would probably still choose performing poetry. I think that would be my top choice. I think if I didn't do this for a living, if I went and got some other job, I'm always going to write poetry. I may not always write books. I may not always be a speaker, but I will always be somewhere at somebody's open mic 
performing poetry. So that is the one I would say would be my top one. Other than that, talking. I just am talking all the time and I love talking. I will be talking until I die. <laughs> is that true, Matt? Uh, she may may talk after. I, <laughs> I, I think there's going to be some posthumous conversations. <laughs> yeah, very very true. <laughs> well, listen, Matt. I'm not going to neglect you. My last question, sir. Is there any bigger Atlanta Braves fan than you? Oh man, <laughs> let me tell you. I love my hometown sports. Even when they don't love me back, (laughs) I stand by the Braves, the Falcons, and the Hawks. That is true. (laughs) Well, I think there might be a lot of listeners here in Canada not agreeing with you on that, but yeah, we'll accept that. Well, we we did lose our our hockey team sometime back, so (laughs) I I, uh, root for whoever you guys are rooting for. Matt Itamina, I got to thank you for uh, sharing all about soul graffiti with us. Ben, thank you so much for having us, Dave. Yes, thank you so much. Honored to talk to you today, sir. It's been fun.